Food bloggers, hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. This is the place for food bloggers to get information and inspiration to accelerate your blog's growth and ultimately help you to achieve your freedom, whether that's financial, personal, or professional. I'm Megan Porta, and I've been a food blogger for over 12 years. I understand how isolating food blogging can be at times. I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger including you, know that you are heard and supported. You guys, this episode is so good. I have a chat with Tim Schmoyer from Video Creators. He is a YouTube strategist and he presents YouTube in a way that I've never heard it presented before. He has so many great ideas for us as we dig into YouTube and start to grow our channels in order to grow our businesses. You are going to love this episode so much. This is episode number 375 and it is brought to you by Rank IQ. Hey, awesome food bloggers. Before we dig into this episode, I have a really quick favor to ask you. Go to your favorite podcast player, go to eBlog Talk, scroll down to the bottom where you see the ratings and review section. Leave eBlog Talk a five-star rating if you love this podcast and leave a great review. This will only benefit this podcast. It adds value. And I so very much appreciate your efforts with this. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, now on to the episode. Since 2011, Tim has been one of the leading YouTube strategists in the online video industry. His company, Video Creators, has been featured by Fox, Forbes, BBC, and even YouTube themselves as his team trains creators and brands to master YouTube and use it as a place to spread messages that change lives. Their clients have organically grown by over 20 billion views and 81 million subscribers under their guidance. He lives today in Cincinnati, Ohio with his wife and seven children. Yes, you heard me right. Seven children. That's a lot of children, Tim. How are you today? (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I'm so glad you're here to talk about YouTube. This is a topic we haven't covered in a while. So this will be something that people will just really dive into, I think. Before we do that, though, what is your fun fact that you want to share with us? Well, yeah, the the seven kids in eight years usually does it for people (laughs) when they they hear that. Like you and your like mixed marriage, like by the family, like, nope. Like, are you okay? Is that a follow-up question? Are you guys okay? (laughs) I might want to ask that question to my wife. Yeah. No, we're, yeah, we're, we're good. We didn't plan it that way, but we did not plan it that way. Yeah. And that's what we got, right? So yeah, seven kids in eight years. It helped that we had identical twin girls there towards the end. I was just going to ask that. Any twins in there? <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of turned... When the twins were born, though, we had four kids ages two and under at oh, that wow. point. Oh, my gosh. So it was a pretty intense season, for sure. Yes. We hired a nanny and who lives across the street from us and just helped my wife be able to relax and rest and sleep. And it was very definitely needed during that season of life. So now now our oldest is 13, just turned 13. We have a teenager now. Yes. And our youngest is uh, just almost five years old. So Okay. Well, you probably are very like sharp and on your toes because I feel like having kids makes you that way just you have to respond to all the needs and yeah that's really cool yeah, there's a lot going on yeah, yeah lot going like on. It. it's fun i homeschool them all and so oh they're here goodness. all the time which actually made things a lot easier now that you want to turn this into a parenting podcast <laughs> but, uh, we tried public school and it was too chaotic we went to homeschool and we're like oh finally which i know a lot of people think the opposite would be true but for us homeschooling is yeah. certainly 
been a, a way of bringing a lot of peace and oh, that's awesome. structure back to our home. Good for you guys. I love that so much. Well, let's change the topic to you two because you clearly have like so much expertise in this area and food bloggers and YouTube go together really well. I know a lot who dig into it and some who avoid it. So we want to hear your expertise today. Can you give us just a history of why you're so into YouTube? Like how did you come to the place you're at today? Yeah. So YouTube started in uh, September 2005. So a few months later, March 2nd, 2006, I uploaded my very first video to YouTube. I was in graduate school in Dallas, Texas. I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area and where all my family and friends were. And I was dating this girl in Texas at the time. And I wanted a way of introducing her to my, my friends and family back home in Philadelphia area. And so I was trying to use WordPress and blogging and stuff. And then this thing YouTube came along. I was like, oh. I can just like make a video of us going out like on dates and stuff. So I tried it. I, my very first video was called test video. I was just like, let me just see if I can get it off of this magnetic tape and on my computer. Right. And after I did that successfully, I started putting videos of us going out on dates, going out to movies, going out to, to eat, going out to the parks, you know, just hanging out, being goofy. And I post those on YouTube and send the links back to my friends and family and so that they could meet this girl. And it was it was fine for a little while, but then this weird thing started happening. Other people started watching these videos. Yeah. <laughs> and back in those days, remember MySpace days? Oh yeah. You don't you don't use your real name on the internet. If you do, people will hunt you down and kill you for some reason. And so I was like getting a little nervous, kind of nervous here. I'm like, why are these people watching me? These videos aren't for them. <laughs> you know, how are they finding me? Why do they keep coming back? Who is Cat Licker 72 and why do they keep commenting <laughs> on my videos? You know? And so I started trying to figure out how this platform was working, started digging around. It was so new, like 2005, six. nobody nobody knew. There wasn't even like a partner program. It wasn't owned by Google yet or anything like that. And so there's only there's two other guys I, I found online who were trying to figure this out. So the three of us started connecting and and uh, talking and long story short, they're like, Tim, we're trying to figure this out. We don't know, but if you do, can you let us know? And I was like, yeah, I like a, I like a good a good problem, good and jump challenge. into it. So, yeah, good challenge. I like figuring out systems and processes and things like that. So, what is the system and process on YouTube? Well, there wasn't a very detail oriented one back then. It was pretty pretty. Uh, all everything was done manually by people behind the scenes. And so that's kind of what started everything, though. I was a youth pastor at a church and loved what I was doing at the time for my full-time gig because I really liked seeing people's lives impacted and changed by what I was doing. But when we started reaching about a million people a month on YouTube, which back then was wow. unheard of. Yeah, that's huge. I was like, I am hearing more stories of life change happening through what we're doing here on YouTube, my girlfriend and I than I ever saw in 12 years of vocational ministry inside a church. And I'm not trying to dog on the church necessarily. I'm just saying like, this was really fruitful. You know, we were hearing stories of people who were reaching out and they're like, you know, I just got married two months ago. My husband and I were already struggling in our relationship. I don't know if we're going to make it. But then I saw that video of you two talking about how you're learning to love each other better I shared that video with my husband and we talked about it and just want to let you know that we have hope again for our marriage. Just thank you for doing that. Oh, and I was like, what? <laughs> like that happened from that video? Wow. Yeah. And so wow. we kept going. Everything from our 
our engagement to our wedding, to our honeymoon, our first house and everything. We just kept kept putting these videos online and I just love the, the fruit of that. So long story short, we uh, had enough people reaching out about how we're doing this. I ended up doing YouTube strategy, three different deals with Disney. I did Warner Brothers, I did HBO, wow. did Budweiser, eBay, like all these big brands. YouTube themselves was contracting me to teach their employees how YouTube was working in the early days and stuff too. And I just fell in love with like, I think this is an opportunity to reach people and, and change their lives at scale. And that's what I became all about. I was like, I reach, I'm reaching my million people a month, but what if I could help other people reach their million people a month with messages I don't have and stories I don't have to share that could really have like a ripple effect in terms of the impact it has on this world. And so oh gosh, I got so excited cool. about that and grew the, the company, the agency for 10 years. And I just sold it last month to VidIQ. And so uh, they congrats. have some, thank you. Yeah. They have some pretty, pretty big plans for what they want to do with our team and our intellectual property and everything, which I am very excited about. But so the, the future is, you know, we, we work with 635 clients last year in 2021, and uh, they have over 2 million weekly active users. So wow. we're going we're gonna to scale this, our systems to now impact 2 million creators a week instead of, you know, 635 a year. So it's going oh to be awesome. That's amazing. Wow. I love your story with it and how you got started and how you started during that kind of sweet spot when it was kind of unknown and nobody really knew what to do. And the thing that I took away from what you just said that I really love is that you married opportunity with changing people's lives. And I think if we yep. could all tap into that, that's like the magic, right? That's that's so important because we all want opportunity, but we also want to make an impact on people's lives. So good for you for doing that. Oh my gosh, that's such a cool story. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so you have three signals that you want to talk through about YouTube search and discovery systems and what they're looking for in videos. So can you talk through that for us? Sure, yeah. So the question is like, how do I get my videos discovered on YouTube? How do I get more people to find my videos, to engage with them and... And what we started doing in the very beginning day, and the, and the principle still applies today, but is like, what is YouTube's goal? What are they trying to do? And how do we align our content with YouTube's goals so that if our videos help YouTube accomplish their goals, then they'll be more likely to surface our content to, to more people, right? And so over time, this is kind of changed. I'll give you a little bit of a history lesson here of YouTube, but I think it, it will make these three things and probably more than three. <laughs> yeah, that's make fine. Way, way more sense. Back in 2005, when I got started, uh, in, in 2005 to 2012, the, the way discoverability worked on YouTube was based on keywords, right? It's like in your you know, every blogger is familiar with, with keywords. It's, and it was heavily based on keyword matching, which is if I put how to tie my shoe like 15 times in the <laughs> tags and the description and the title, and I say it over and over again in the video, then YouTube will be like super convinced that this video is about how to tie my shoe. <laughs> They'll get the hint. <laughs> Somehow, because they're like, wow, you said it 15 times. This must really be about that thing. And that's that was a pretty rudimentary system. It you know served it for its purpose in, in the very beginning. But YouTube started bumping into this problem, which is like, just because someone says something 15 times doesn't mean it's the best result to surface for that thing, for that query. 
And so, and almost 10 years ago now, in fact, I think it's October 11th, 2022. It was October 2012. So I think tomorrow is the 10 year anniversary Uh of when YouTube announced we're not doing this based on keywords anymore. (laughs) They switched to viewer signals in 2012. So it's been a long time. I know keywords are still a big thing for a lot of creators on YouTube, but by the time of our conversation here, people will be like, nope, don't need keywords anymore. Because it's based on signals that the, that YouTube is collecting from the viewer to determine how valuable is this content. So in 2020, in 2012, that's not even a number. In 2012, <laughs> YouTube switched to primarily making it based on watch time. And you can see this in your analytics. It's you know the total amount of time someone spends watching a video. And YouTube's like, we're pretty sure that if someone spends a long time watching video A versus a short time watching video B, all other things somehow being considered equal, that video A must be a more valuable video because it held their attention for longer. And so YouTube started like what? Like let's look at the viewer to see it, how valuable this this video is. So they looked at watch time, and they also started looking at session watch time, which is how long. How does this video contribute to the viewer's overall viewing session on YouTube? In other words, does video A like keep them here for three more minutes before they abandon YouTube and leave versus video B that keeps them here for 30 more minutes? Well, YouTube's like, well, we're not going to, you know, we we want people to spend as much time here as as they can. So if video B is keeping people here for 30 minutes and video A is, you know, they're they're leaving after three minutes, well, we're going to surface video B all day long, right? So it wasn't, it was about how much time people are spending watching each video and two, how much time do people spend watching YouTube? And so YouTube starts trying to predict the next video they think you're going to watch, which will be the watch next video on YouTube at the top of your suggested videos on the right-hand sidebar if you're on desktop. And then predicting every consecutive video they think you're going to watch thereafter. So they're projecting like if we surface this video, then they're going to want to watch this video, this video, then that video, like 10 videos in advance. And that that should lead to a viewing, a viewing session of like 68 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas if we surface this video, it'll lead to a viewing session of like 16 minutes or something, right? Yeah. So, so these viewer signals and many more became really significant. Now, some of the viewer signals that people focus on today – that do not have an impact are like getting, and maybe you've heard this and maybe you, you can roll your eyes if you, when you <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. Like, comment, and subscribe. Yes. <laughs> yeah. People are like, watch, my, like my video. It helps it out in the algorithm. And comment below and subscribe. And YouTube's like, no, 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 no. We're, we don't, we're not going to focus on those because those are too easily gamed. You can buy views. You can buy subscribers. You can buy even quote, air quotes here, authentic engagement, you know, and none of that makes a difference because those are too easily gained. And they vary significantly from niche to niche and audience to audience and things too. So they're like, we're we're not focusing on those. We're, We're focusing on how much time do people spend on the content and on YouTube themselves. So does that make sense so far? Yeah. I mean, as you talk through it, I'm like, yeah, this makes complete sense. So they're just getting smarter and they're experimenting a little bit to see what's working and what's not. Yeah. As opposed to, it's the same thing we go through with blogging. Like the keyword stuffing was huge for a while. Like let's put chili recipe 92 times in the post just so Google understands (laughs) exactly what my post is about. It's the same thing, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
and your readers are like, why can't they use like just it? Why do they keep repeating that same title? Yeah. Well, now you can get penalized for doing that, at least for blog posts. I don't know if the, it's the same for YouTube, but on YouTube they will they call it keyword stuffing. Yeah, it, and it is it is considered spam and grounds for termination. If you okay, interesting that it's the same yeah. there too. But even on Google, like they switched a lot to to time on page as an indicator of mm. how valuable this this content is. So very similar similar to to YouTube, but then they ran into this problem with the watch time thing. And, you know, what people started doing, they're like, okay, well, if it's about how long people spend watching YouTube, then you have to make really long videos. And we saw a big rise in around 2016, 2014, 16, that area of like live streamers, gamers making just like crazy long Content, family vloggers and vlogging really, because again, those people could crank out 20 minute videos every day. And, but then you had to the detriment of these other creators who were like, it takes me a month to make a two minute animated video, right? Or, or music videos take a long time to to produce. And it was kind of like this unfair advantage that people who could create long quality and massive amounts of it. It was kind of unfair advantage that they had the people who still wanted to make valuable, good content, but it was two minutes or four minutes long. And they took them like a month and a half to make that two minutes or something. So those people started becoming discouraged. And so you just like, okay, we got to become a little bit more sophisticated here. So in 2016, a team of engineers at YouTube released a white paper that started describing the role that neural networks are playing in their in machine learning. And basically what ended up happening in around 2016 is everything started becoming more and more personalized on YouTube. Their machine learning got really, really good at personalizing every individual viewer's viewing experience, showing them the right video to the right person at the right time in order to keep them on the platform for as long as possible. So around this time, the idea of ranking number one quickly started dissipating because like there's no two homepages that are the same. Mm, interesting. Like, like Megan, Megan, you look at your homepage, you compare it to mine, and we're going to have very different videos there. If we're watching even the same video, the suggested videos of what we should watch next are going to be very different. Even when we type in the exact same search query, we're going to get different results based on your viewing history, the types of videos you subscribe to and watch, the, the videos you've watched in the past, the type of content you tend to be, uh, you tend to prefer over other types and styles and formats of, of content. Even I remember I was at a I was at a coffee shop with my daughter, and we were waiting for well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we're at a coffee shop, and she's on the on the iPad. She's like, "Daddy, I want to, I want to." She's watching all these different. We have a thing with our kids. Like when you do YouTube, you're not just gonna sit there and bug out. Like, what do you want to learn about, right? And so she's like, "I want to." She's watching these videos about like coloring and stuff. And she's like, I want to learn how to draw a kitty. So I type in for her, you know, how to draw a cat. And the first video that pops up at the top of the search results is how to draw a husky puppy. And mm. I'm like, well, well, that's it. My daughter's like, oh, that's a pretty kitty. I want to click. And she taps <laughs> on that one immediately. And I was like, oh, I see what's happening uh, there. YouTube just learned that wow. if they determine that there's a kid in a viewing session in front of the iPad or device, And the search for how to draw a cat, that this is the right video, even though it has none of the right keywords in it, right? It's it's like about how to draw a puppy. So then I went home 
And I'm screenshotting all this because it's my job, right? Like, <laughs> like yeah. I'm super curious. I go home. I search for how to draw a cat from my desktop, different, you know, location, different device, different viewing session, everything. And I get a completely different set of videos that are much more like the ones my daughter got were more like cartoony and cute. The results I got were more like a realistic, like an adult wants to draw this, not like a kid. Right. And so I was like, okay, yeah, even search results, there's no such thing as ranking number one anymore. And so even if you do, I can promise you right now, it's not worth getting there because so much competition and it's the wrong viewer. You want someone who's just killing time on YouTube. It's going to give you way more watch time than someone who's searching for something. They're in the kitchen right now. Got to make this recipe. The eggs are almost burnt and they got to figure <laughs> out how to save it, right? Like they're just skipping ahead. As soon as they get what they want, boom, they, they're, they're gone and they've forgotten who you even are three hours later, right? So, so everything became really a lot more customized. Suggested videos were not necessarily related to the content you're watching anymore. They started turning into like what view, what video YouTube thinks you want to watch next. So does that make sense in terms yeah. of personalization becoming a thing and ranking kind of going away? Right. Idea? Yeah, it does make sense. So how does this affect us as foodie creators? Yeah, I think all that, we're going to answer all that in kind of when we get to the punchline here, which is so far, the way you dominate on YouTube has nothing to do with your keywords, has nothing to do with how long your videos are, how frequently you publish your content, but nothing. The, the, it all comes down to if you want to optimize your content, you don't optimize for robots. You have to optimize for people. What's going to hold their attention? What's going to make them feel something, especially with food? Like food is a very emotional topic, right? Yeah. And then most of the foodies and the food creators I know on YouTube default to this like educational mindset where this is a hundred percent about mix this ingredient with that ingredient and here's your recipe and they try to do it as expeditiously that's an sat word i'm pretty sure <laughs> as possible you know to like it's all about is very little emotion and all information and whoever presents the information the most succinctly the fastest with the best camera angles or whatever wins and i can tell you like we work with a lot of food creators and food network personalities and cooking brands and stuff on YouTube. And it's, it's, let, let me get, give me an example here. So working with a food brand, I can't say who they are, but you would certainly know them. If I said them, they're a very well-known big national brand. I uh, think like outdoor grills, cooking grills and skillets and cast iron and, you know, stuff like that. So I'm doing this session with them and, and they have this video, like how to grill, chicken on some model grill i forget it doesn't matter right so like, it, like they had all the keywords in there how to cook grill chicken there everything was in there it got to like two thousand something views and it just kind of petered out and so i'm watching this video and there's this moment in there i'm sure like to me this was new but i'm sure you're familiar with spatchcock chicken yeah right, right? okay I had never heard of that before, but I'm just watching this video. I'm like, what are you doing to this? <laughs> you know, I'm like, you're mangling this thing and you're flattening it out. And like, oh, you're breaking that bone. Like, doesn't that hurt? Oh, no, it's just dead, <laughs> you know, type of thing. And, and so that was the curiosity moment in, in that video. And so we, we just changed the title thumbnail. The content should have been better prepared, but it wasn't. So we just changed the title th thumbnail to a thumbnail of the, the left side of the thumbnail was uh, left half is a 
a whole chicken on top of a grill with a red X. And the right side is a spatchcock chicken flattened out looking mangled with a green check mark. And the title is just, you're doing it wrong. Right. Ah, so like, okay. no, no keywords in there. It was a hundred percent optimized to spark curiosity, to elicit emotion. And then it shot up to like 60,000 views in the next like two weeks after that. Right. Oh, wow. So, so it was, so the, yeah, so all the, the main point for what this means for us as creators is really not about how do we optimize something for an algorithm or for robots, but how do we optimize this for people so that when they see our titles and thumbnails, it sparks curiosity, it creates interest, it creates intrigue. That And that giant question mark that pops up above their heads, they have, like there's tension literally in their brain that they need to resolve. And the only way for them to resolve this tension that they feel is to actually click or tap on that title or thumbnail to relieve the tension. Right. Mm. So, but then the creators make this next big mistake, which is like the person, let's say you got a really good title thumbnail, you're doing it wrong. Right. And like, what, what did they do that chicken? How is that right? So you got all these questions, you click on that and then you get into the video and then it opens up with, what I see too many food creators doing is, Hey, welcome back to my channel. My name's Tim. And you know, today we're going to Make this your your grandma's apple pie. I just had apple pie last night. It was delicious. So Ooh, yummy. that's just in my top of my top of mind right now. Your grandma's apple pie, blah blah blah, right? And if the title of that video is how to make your grandma's apple pie, the viewer is like, I know. Yes, yeah, <laughs> right. Like, right? Yeah. like get on with it. And you're gonna see the abandonment rate be very high in the opening seconds of your video if you look in your audience retention graphs on YouTube. Because you didn't take the tension, the curiosity and create more tension and curiosity, you completely alleviated it. And now they're like, yeah. ah, okay, I'm gone, right? Are you ready to learn, grow, and build relationships in person in 2023? Eat Blog Talk is hosting a 2023 spring retreat for food bloggers. This is super exciting. In-person retreats are an opportunity for food bloggers to convene in an intimate setting to learn, collaborate, and connect. These retreats involve mastermind-style peer-to-peer collaborating, and they are such a powerful way to grow your business, expand your network of peers, and make lasting friendships. Apply to attend the spring 2023 retreat. Go to eblogtalk.com forward slash retreat to fill out the application. I hope to see you there. Now back to the episode. So it's it's better if for as much as possible to create like think of your concept first and then think of your video and then brainstorm title thumbnail ideas before you actually make the content so that you're creating something that's enticing. It's a it's sparking emotion and, and something that is curiosity. Again, nothing based on keywords, which if you want to keep going through YouTube's history, we can see how that fell off even more and more um, with their AI stuff. But but basically it's it's like what makes the person you're trying to reach, your most ideal viewer slash customer slash subscriber slash whatever, this person, what sparks curiosity for them, makes them feel something. Craft the title and thumbnail first. Then you're crafting what are the opening seconds that pick up on the curiosity that was sparked in the title and thumbnail. And how do we even create even more tension based on mm. that? So instead of it being like, you know, you're doing it wrong. And then it's like, hey, welcome. Today, we're going to show you how to cook your grill your chicken on this model grill. I'm like, 
the only people who are going to watch this video right. <laughs> are the people who have that model grill and are frustrated because they don't know how to grill right. chicken on it. Right. So like, let's not, let's not go after those keywords in the first place, even if that was a thing, but if it had opened instead with this like mangled chicken, I'm calling it mangled. I'm sorry. I don't <laughs> offend anybody, but that's what it looks like to a first time person like me. Right? I don't think you'll offend anybody. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> By the way, I cook my chicken and my turkeys like this all the time now on the grill. Oh, so good. it's absolutely the right Transformed your life. It did. <laughs> Our Thanksgivings have never been the same. <laughs> so now that so it should have opened with like the crack of the breast prone, the thing like a couple quick shots, opening up real that slap and putting on being put on the grill and some sort of voiceover that's like I don't know, I'm kind of making this up on the spot, but like uh, something about like when you grill the whole chicken just on the grill the outside's going to get burned the inside's going to be raw and it's all going to take taste like sawdust or something yeah like you know and so increasing the curiosity so the only way you can make a title thumbnail the opening seconds of the content all align with each other and creating curiosity is to plan it out first and then shoot the content and then when you have all those three things things figured out then hit record then create the content and deliver it in such a way that the viewer is now feeling something about this recipe or about this food, as opposed to you're going to get the, you know, like it would be kind of like me when I go to uh, like fix something on our lawnmower and I'm going to like, how do I replace the alternator in my lawnmower? Right. And so I find the videos exactly step by step how to do it, but no emotion, no connection has been created. And three hours later, I, can't tell you whose channel that was on. I don't remember that. It's too forgettable, right? Right. So creating that emotion is really, really important for connecting with a viewer, not the algorithms, but the viewer, because the algorithms are designed to track how people respond and react to our content, even up to the point of knowing how satisfied they are, not just with how how do they watch this for a considerable amount of time and are they personalized results, but just video A versus video B, which one leaves the viewer feeling more satisfied? And so they are they are tracking emotion and how this content makes you feel too, not just and if you want to know how an algorithm does that, we can talk about that too. But but there you go. That's the that's kind of the overall version though of the signals that YouTube's looking for. It's do people watch? Yes or no? If they do watch, how long do they spend watching? And how does this contribute to their overall viewing satisfaction or viewing session on YouTube? And how satisfied does it make them feel? So you can see what happens now if you're trying to make content that's trying to get everyone to your website. You know, yeah. <laughs> you're like, and you're always trying to get them to click the link of the recipe in the description below. You might be ending the viewing session and thus shooting your channel in the foot. Mm. So, so this requires some forethought, right? And some planning ahead. I mean, you can't, like you were saying, you can't just like put the step-by-step up and how to make chili in a crock pot. You've got to think ahead and strategize a little bit about what is going to evoke emotion, what is going to pull them in, what's going to create curiosity or intrigue, and then create your content. Yeah. If if there's like a really generic way of saying, talking about this for for cooking channels, it's it's less about the, here's how you make this thing, and more about hang out with me in the kitchen while I cook or something, you know, it's, it's more about uh, getting the viewer to feel like I like just hanging out with this person, a, a former client of ours. I don't know if you're familiar with them on YouTube, pro home cooks, uh, Mike Greenfield. Oh no. With him. So he's got like two 
point something million subscribers. And this that's what he does. It's not like, he'll, I mean, by the end of the video, you'll learn how to make the thing. But most people are watching not to learn how to make the thing, but to feel like they're going to hang out and have a good time in the kitchen with someone they feel like they connect well with. Right Now, that's yeah. not to say every food blogger on YouTube has to become some sort of dynamic personality. But it is to say there should be some story. There should be some narrative. There should be something emotional to this besides just assembling food ingredients and being easily forgotten and blended into the rest of the food blogging community, right? Yeah. So what are some other ideas to stand out? So giving it some thought ahead of time and curating a video based on everything you've just said to create that entry. But what else can we do to make our video stand out? Yeah. Two principles that I think could be helpful as ways or methods or processes, whatever, to to create content that could be more likely to spark some sort of connection or emotion with people. And one is to connect, we call it to connect known to unknown. So you, and, and one way all food creators kind of do this, which is like, you are unknown, but apple pie is known. And so make the video about the apple pie, right? But that's been done so many times that that's not really a great way to stand out anymore. So instead, what would be more, you're going to have to help me on this one probably, Megan, because I'm like, I, I'm not too familiar with, with the, to know what's happening in the industry or things, but what would make someone in your target audience feel like, uh, and they never heard of you before, they've never seen your channel, but they're like, what? How, what happens? What happens there? So maybe it's, I'm making this up. I'm not saying yeah. it's like, <laughs> it's like uh, Gordon Ramsay's recipes. No one liked you know, uh. or, or something like that, you know, and uh, maybe it's his top five worst Gordon Ramsay recipes. It creates a, I don't know if that's good or not, but it's like, it creates a little intrigue and you might not know who Megan is, but you might know who Gordon Ramsay is. Mm-hmm. And so you click for Gordon Ramsay and that's in the process, get introduced to Megan. Okay. So that, I don't know if that makes sense. That's yeah. a, 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 I just made that up. Stirring up. Well, we, we are familiar with this on our blogs occasionally, like just stirring up a little bit of healthy drama. Is that kind of what you're saying? It doesn't have to be drama, but it certainly could be. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like, I'm just trying to think of like what's known in, you know, so maybe it's kitchen, like it doesn't have to be everything wrong with KitchenAid. It could be like three hacks you didn't know your KitchenAid could do or something. Yeah. And it's, it's like, and the thumbnail is something like it's, I don't know, it's twisting twine for you or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like totally unexpected. Right. Because unexpected sparks curiosity too. So yeah, it's, it's like people know what the KitchenAid is, but they don't know who Megan is. So they click for the KitchenAid and then discover you. So it could be different uh, things happening on like Food Network personalities or different brands. It could be commonly held beliefs that people have about how you use certain ingredients certain ways, but you use it this very different way. And that can create curiosity because that like people are familiar with that ingredient and that process but not with how you're doing it kind of like the example i just gave with this babscock chicken so that's one principle connecting what's un- unknown to what's known uh, a really good example of this you want to look one up is a person we worked with in the past uh, charisma on command is their channel and almost every title of thumbnail is something about some hollywood celebrity how they like win every argument or instantly get people to like them or, or something and uh, so they're not going to tell you like three or three bullet points and how you do this, but they're going to break down how 
Scarlett Johansson does this or how, you know, some, I don't know, whoever, how they do it. And so you click because you know the actor or the actress and you're curious about how they do it, but then you get introduced to his channel. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's the first one. The second one, an idea is to put two things together that don't normally go together. And this might not work for everyone's channels, but one lady you did a session with and she builds computers on, on her channel and she built a computer, a working functional computer that looks like a treehouse. Oh, exactly. You had a reaction to that. <laughs> kind of like, I had to think a minute, like what? You're like, why? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> you know? And so because you had that little curiosity moment, if you saw that title of thumbnail, you'd be like, why? What? You know, and, and because it looks like you, it looks like a treehouse, but you can tell it's a functioning computer. And so there's some curiosity, like, but you don't usually put treehouse and computers together, right? It's a yeah. little bit like, that's weird. Another former client of ours did a, uh, a video on, this is a race, racing channel, uh, race car, race, I forget, so not NASCAR, the like actual race car stuff. And I hope I didn't tell anyone that. That wasn't meant to be offensive. Oh, no. <laughs> That's more of my no. experience of not knowing the difference between NASCAR and other stuff. Yeah. But it was uh, uh, dragster tires, and they were they're right off the line, and they're completely like folded in on top of each other. And it's like, why is this so soft, right? So it, it creates curiosity. Like, oh, I didn't expect to see tires mm-hmm. that are twisted, you know, or like right off the line. Like, you expect them to be to be solid. Another creator worked with was a 18th century history channel and they kind of had maxed out like they pretty much had 100% market penetration like anyone in the industry knew who they were and was already subscribed to their channel so they had they needed a new strategy to broaden their audience a little bit and to continue growing and so it was two things that don't normally go together like the tomahawk versus a chainsaw ah, <laughs> you know you're like yeah. Oh, that that's creates a little bit more intrigue than, you know, how to build a log cabin with a axe or something, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know, those principles make sense? Question yeah, they do. And I'm just trying to think about how that specifically can relate to cooking, like the things that don't go together. Do you have any ideas for how that could come into the cooking scene a little bit? So that's a good question. The the process here is not a, I have an idea, let me go make it. The process now becomes, I got to sit here and stew on this for a little bit. Most of what goes into a really good video is everything that happens before you hit record now. It used to be like, who could just make the most video content, the fastest and the best, but that's no longer the case. It's definitely quality over quantity now. And so the process is, and I, I don't, I'm not going to leave you hanging on your question, but maybe we'll workshop it together here a little bit. But the process is, and this is what I would encourage anybody to do, is take this video concept you have, and you should come up with at least 20 different title and thumbnail combinations for that content before you hit record. So it's not as simple as like, oh, how to do this thing and like... You know, if you guys want different results, you got to do different something differently. Right? If you keep doing the way you've done it, you'll get the same results, right. and you know what that's called, right? So, what what are we gonna? The part of this process that's going to be different is spending a lot of time up front. Mm-hmm. A lot of the top creators we that we work with, they might have like a really great video idea, but if they can't come up with a really good title and thumbnail for it first, they won't even bother putting the time into making that video because they know like 
that it doesn't matter how awesome or amazing the content is if no one's enticed to click in the first place. So they will spend a lot of, uh, they'll put a, what most people would consider a disproportionate amount of time into the title, thumbnail, and opening seconds first. So all that to say, to answer, like, give ideas for this, like, yeah, but we'd have to sit here and brainstorm on it for a while, which I'm happy to do if you want to do. But I I don't know, like, I've worked with some cake channels that make these, like, really realistic-looking things out of uh, cake, and you couldn't tell that it was edible. You know, it looked so real. But that's kind of been done before, too. Oh, one lady we worked with, she did something that was unexpected. She put two things you don't normally go, go together. She made a toilet that looked like – she made a cake toilet that you could oh sit on. Oh, my gosh. What? So exactly, right? So you got a reaction to that too. And so the thumbnail is someone – if I remember correctly, it was a few years ago. She's sitting on – it's a, it's a toilet. Someone's sitting on it, but the title thumbnail is like is a cake, and someone else is taking a bite out of it. <laughs> So that might not be aligned with everyone's brand, right. of course, but that scratches the itch. Yeah, like, right. What happens there? Now, I don't want people to feel like, is, you mean I can't just, like, I just want people to make the best dishes ever. I don't want to resort to this type yeah. of cheekiness and this type of, like, is this what I have to do to win on YouTube? I don't want to do YouTube anymore. And that is certainly not the case. You can certainly grow by just providing high quality content, but I will say you can't grow without some level of curiosity, of intrigue, and especially some sort of emotional connection with, even if your face isn't on it, even if it's just your hands, it's the stories you're telling in between, it's the repeated things you do in every video that people grow to love. It's the things you, the, the names you give to your audience. It's the, your backstory of how you got started with cooking that people love. It's some sort of creed or belief that, that your brand revolves around. Like for us, the video creators, it's reach people, change lives. And actually I gave you guys a lot of those signals in the very beginning, just in telling my story yeah. of like what I believe and why it matters and how I got started. And those things go much further in creating an emotional connection and they don't have to take then just kind of like making content, right? And it, and it doesn't have to be a five-minute story like I probably did here. It could just be a, oh, this reminds me of that time. Or, you're, you know, every, every time you drop the spatula in the video, there's something you say, you pick it up, and it becomes a thing that your audience just does, right? And now they drop the spatula on purpose so they can say <laughs> that thing or something. Yeah. You know, it's just those type of human connection things are the uh, – there's a really good book. We don't have to get into it now, but I would just suffice it to recommend a book called Primal Branding. The author's name is Patrick Hanlon. And what he does in that book is he just looks at all the top brands that develop cult-like followings – and audiences and just ask, what did each of these brands do that made it easy for people to fall in love with them? And he breaks it down into seven elements of what he calls a primal code. And the channels that are just killing it on YouTube, whether they're primarily entertainment or educational, they have almost all seven of these signals squarely ingrained in their content. So people quickly feel something about their brand and their who they are. Oh, so wow. that's interesting. I would definitely that could be a whole yeah. other conversation, but yeah, right. it's, really, it's a very predictable process to get people to quickly feel something about about you and your brand. And with food, there's so much opportunity to evoke emotion because people think of like their childhood. I do this all the time. The things my mom used to make for me, or maybe it's a grandmother, or like something that's been passed down generation to generation. Like, and I don't know. There's so much opportunity there. So just totally. giving that a little bit of thought like you're saying beforehand, can go a long way. 
I mean, for me, it's when I eat when I'm not supposed and shouldn't be eating. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. It's usually emotions tied by that too. I'm been right. discovering so right. Yeah, there's a lot there. It's deep. It can, there's a deep rabbit hole right there. Yeah. No, that gives me a lot of food for thought for sure. Oh, <laughs> I just have one more question for you. How do we track all this? So we're experimenting. We're going through this process of thinking beforehand what to create. And we've got, you know, some good catchy titles and thumbnails. How do we track if it's working or not? Yeah, uh, that's a whole, like a whole nother episode too. But the uh, when you're trying to craft, let's start, let's kind of like walk through the data and your analytics from each step of the viewing journey. The first step of the viewing journey is the title thumbnail. And so you can determine how well your new titles and thumbnails are performing by looking at the impressions and click-through rate data in your analytics. In other words, how many people had an opportunity to click because at least half of the thumbnail was visible for them to click on versus how many people actually clicked. And that'll give you a percentage rate. And it's very significantly from channel to channel, niche to niche, audience to audience. So it's really about how do I improve my game? Not like, how do I do, like, what are other people doing this good or not? But like, let's just say you're at like a 3% click-through rate. Okay, how do I get to three and a half percent? And this one four. And then, and a lot of these creators will make like two, three, sometimes five different th- title thumbnail combos for a video. And if, and they know approximately what a good rate is for them and they publish that video. And if it's not getting that, they'll switch it to a different title thumbnail combo and see if they can get that rate up to where it needs to, where it normally is or better. Right. So impressions, click through rates first. And then after that, you want to be looking at watch time. How much time do people spend watching this, this content? I found the most valuable place to evaluate that is inside the audience retention graphs on YouTube. Because there you can see a little bit better at what point in the video are people abandoning this content. I'm going, having worked with a lot of food channels before, I'll, I'll, I'll make a prediction here and say that mo- the average food channels audience retention graphs looks like a slow decline over time. There's not like a moment where everyone can point to me like, oh, like, like one guy we worked with, whenever he would say the word module, it was big, like people just be, right? <laughs> That's it's funny. Not, it's not, yeah, we just stop saying the word module, <laughs> video, right? And that, it's not always that easy and clear. So if, if it's just a slow, gradual decline over time, what that likely means is like, there's not really anything here holding people's attention. And I would just give yourself permission to kind of reinvent your format, your process. What does version 2.0 of your content, your brand look like and reinvent with that? Yeah. doesn't mean you have to like give everything up, but yeah, probably need to try something different. Okay. And then I would look at the end screens in terms of like, what's the click-through rate on these? Because remember we said session watch time is important. How long does this video contribute to keeping people on YouTube? And one easy way to kind of measure that is looking at the click-through rate on the end screen. And so I would just encourage you guys at the end of your videos to pitch the next video you want them to click and why Mm. point to that area on the screen, have it right there. I would avoid any ending language, like hope this was helpful. Let me know what you think. Like nothing like that. You'll see quick audience abandonment in your retention graphs at that point. So just content, content, content. And then your only call to action is now my favorite dessert that goes with it is actually this apple pie from my grandma. I know normally it takes you five hours to make it, but we're going to show how you do it in two or something. So (laughs) ending with more curiosity as well. Like, oh, what's that about? 
Yep, you opened up the curiosity of the title and thumbnail they're on, and now by the end of the video, they should that tension should be gone. So you got to quickly create tension now for the next video. Create more yeah. tension on a new topic. That's right. Oh my gosh, Tim, this has been super helpful. I've just been sitting here completely absorbing everything, and I see YouTube in a new light. And I know this is this is going to be an awesome episode. People are going to love this. So thank you Good. so yeah. much for all of this. This has been amazing. So do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to leave us with today? Well, I'll leave it to you to judge how inspirational it is. But a saying in the Schmoyer household with our kids is good work brings good reward. Mm. And that is uh, something our kids roll their eyes when they hear it. You know, type of thing. Yeah. But we try to live our lives in such a way that that's true because it usually is. And so I would just say, you know, for food bloggers and people trying to grow on YouTube, it is work. It is hard work. It's frustrating. It's disappointing work sometimes. But I think at the end of the day or at the end of the year or whatever, how long it takes, it mm-hmm. ends up being good work. And good work brings good reward. That's what business revolves around. And uh, doing good work for others that serves them and their families really well, serves your family really well, and their audience really well. It's just like a win-win-win for everybody. So, Oh, I love that. There you go. That's a good yeah. family motto. And I'm sure they're rolling their eyes, but inside they're retaining that. They are hearing you. So that's <laughs> awesome. Like that. Yeah, definitely. We'll put together some show notes with everything we've talked about today. So you can find those at eblogtalk.com forward slash video creators. Tell everyone again where they can find you on YouTube and anywhere else you want to mention, Tim. Yeah, we have a weekly podcast ourselves to so search anywhere in the video or any of the uh podcast platforms for video creators um, should pop up there. And that's where we go into more in-depth topics and tactics and strategies for growing a channel, kind of beyond the basics of, you know, how do I make a custom thumbnail and more in terms of how do I tell a good story and how do I engage my audience and how do I increase sales and things like that on my on my YouTube channel. So yeah, every Monday, a new episode. So check it out. Be a good place to start. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being here so much, Tim. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. Please share this episode with a friend who would benefit from tuning in. I will see you next time.